0: great to see you all good morning Uh, if you if you didn't get a bible the first time round and you'd like one please um, put up your hands and Ian or Rachel will bring one to you we are back on page 959 uh, page 959 as we continue our series in Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth uh, looking at chapter 12 and verses 12 through to 31 Um, Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth in chapter 12 um, looking at verses 12 through to 31. There, there aren't any, any sermon search prizes uh, to give out this morning, but keep them coming in. Uh, maybe there will be uh, next week or the week after. Now, now the Bible is full of some very colourful and vivid pictures um, uh, depicting God's people, the church. So, uh, the church in the Bible is pictured as a bride, the bride of Christ. It's pictured as a temple. Um, It's pictured as a flock. And uh, there are other pictures that God used in the Bible to describe uh, God's people. And uh, God is using these pictures to help us to understand different truths about the church. And, And here in this passage, Paul uses a picture to help the Corinthians to understand truth about themselves and each other. Truth about the church, and it's the picture of the body. It's the picture of the body. Now to help us to get our bearings, uh, Paul in chapters 12 to 14, he's helping the Corinthians to think through the area of spiritual gifts. Uh, Why is Paul doing that? Well, because the understanding uh, and the attitude of some within the church towards spiritual gifts and their use of them was having a very damaging and divisive impact on the church. Now, clearly, the Corinthians have asked Paul a question about spiritual gifts, and the question is likely to have been something like this Do spiritual gifts show people spirituality? Uh, do people's spiritual gifts show people spirituality? Uh, And with the way in which Paul addresses uh, the gift of tongues in these chapters, it would seem that some people are putting a particular emphasis on that gift. And they were saying that the gift of tongues is the gift to have. And that if you have the gift of tongues, that means that you are a really, really spiritual person. Uh, They seem to have been valuing people according to the spiritual gift that they had And it seems that they were even suggesting um, that you might not even be a Christian if you didn't have the gift of tongues. And so, as you can see, inevitably, this was causing fractions and friction within the church. Um, So, for example, it was making some people feel inferior because they didn't have a certain gift. And it was making others feel superior because they did have a certain gift. Uh, We'll be thinking in more detail about the gift of tongues in chapter 14. Now we saw last week in chapter 12 verses 1 to 11 that a spiritual gift is a grace gift or ability or role with gifts uh, to equip given to the believer by the Holy Spirit. And those gifts are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We saw that no believer is given all the gifts but every believer is given at least one gift. Uh, We saw that the gifts are given primarily for the building up and for the good of the church. Uh, We saw that the variety in the gifts is something of a reflection of the variety in the Godhead. And we saw that our unity is found not in the gifts, but in the Spirit who gives them to us. And now in verses 12 to 31, Paul, as he uses this very vivid and extended illustration of a body, he continues to apply some of those themes. And so we're going to look firstly at verses 12 to 14, at the body of Christ, unity and diversity. The body of Christ, unity and diversity. Now, the use of the body as a picture of the church is a brilliant illustration of what the church is. In fact, it's hard to think of a better picture to teach the truth that Paul is trying to drive home here, which is that the church is both one and many at the same time. The church is both diverse and it is united. And the church is one whole, not in spite of its diversity, but because of its diversity. I mean, you think about the human body, it is quite remarkable. Made up of many different parts, yet all forming together as one whole. With the whole being incomplete if one part is missing. So you've got hands and feet and arms and legs You've got eyes and ears and a mouth and a nose. You've got the heart and the liver and the kidneys and the lungs and the brain and so on. And each of these parts they, they all have their own function. They all do something very different. They're all individual, but by themselves they are incomplete without the rest of the body. They they don't function by themselves. They don't work by themselves. That they need to be with the other parts. Together, they make up the whole. Now, you will notice that as you skim your eyes through the passage, Paul, he, he repeatedly underlines this all through verses 1, uh, 12 through to 31. One but many, many but one, one but many, many but one. He, he keeps coming back to this, and, and you see that he does this in verses 12 to 14. In many ways, verse 12 and verse 14, they're like bookends on these three verses, Uh, They emphasize both the individuality of the believer, but also how now each believer is united to Christ. They belong to the rest of his people. So, So each believer is now part of something much bigger than themselves. They are part of the body of Christ. They don't exist alone. They don't exist in isolation. They are now part of a whole so, so, so a Christian who, who tries to exist by themselves, who, who tries to kind of live in isolation, who, who doesn't worship with or who doesn't serve alongside or who doesn't live alongside other believers, and unless they are in circumstances outside of their control, maybe like persecution or poor health or old age, they're not expressing this spiritual reality, that they are part of the body of Christ. Now in verse 13, in between this sandwich, in between the two bookends, Paul, he, he really emphasizes that all believers, um, however different they may seem, they have all been, become part of the one body. And here in verse 13, he's, he's laying down a foundation, a principle. Here, here he uses the examples of, of nationality and status rather than gifts as examples of, of people being different to each other but being part of the one body. And, and Paul, he emphasises this by referring back to people's conversion. Uh, and he refers to people's conversion in two different ways. So firstly, he says, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. Now, what does Paul mean by that? Uh, When the Holy Spirit brings people to repentance and faith, when they're converted, the Holy Spirit, he spiritually baptizes them, plunges them, immerses them into the one body of Of Christ so as we to mark someone's conversion uh, we baptize them we immerse them we plunge them into the water for a brief second we make them part of the water so the Holy Spirit on people's conversion he spiritually immerses people plunges people submerges them into the body of Christ he makes them a part of the body. So in terms of actual spiritual realities, the the Corinthians, they've been submerged into the one body of Christ. Notice that they haven't become part of different bodies. So you haven't got the Jewish body, you haven't got the Greek body, you haven't got the body made up of slaves, you haven't got the body made up of those who are free, no Jew or Greek, slave or free, they've all been submerged into the one body. So for us in terms of actual spiritual realities, though there are young and old Christians, they are all part of the one body. Although there are Christians who are English and Chinese and American and Australian and Indian and so on, they are all part of the one body. Although there are Christians who are Anglicans and Baptists and Presbyterians and Pentecostals and so on, they are all part of the one body. Although there are Christians with terrible sin in their backgrounds and Christians uh, that don't have terrible sins in their backgrounds, uh, they are all part of the one body. Uh, for, For all true Christians, in terms of actual spiritual reality, we've all been plunged, baptized, made part of the one body. Now, when Paul says at the end of verse 13, all were made to drink of one spirit, he's, he's not referring to a kind of second experience of the spirit. I mean, he's describing conversion in another way, again expressing Uh, people's oneness in Christ. So as all the Israelites drank from the same rock in the wilderness in the Old Testament, which Paul refers to in chapter 10, so so all true believers... (laughs) Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, uh, young or old, um, uh, English or Chinese, um, Baptist or Pentecostal, uh, those with a very immoral past, uh, those without, they've, they've all looked to the same God to have their deepest needs satisfied. They've, they've all drunk from the same cup. Uh, they've all been made part of the same body. And so I think this should make us very, very, very thoughtful about our attitude towards and how we think about other Christians who are true Christians, real Christians, they're truly trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they are following him, they're real Christians, but they might seem slightly different to us. That should make us very thoughtful. Uh, they're not part of a different body. It's, it's not them over there and us here. We're all part of the one body of Christ. They are as much of a Christian as we are. And so having underlined that principle, Paul now applies this in different ways. And in verses 15 to 20, he tells them, the Corinthians, that as individual parts of the body of Christ, they are needed. The body of Christ, you are needed. Now now in this kind of atmosphere in the church in Corinth where people were judging the spirituality of others by what gift they had. Uh, that meant that there were some Christians who who, because they didn 't have a certain gift, uh, they felt kind of sidelined and marginalized. Uh, they felt inferior, um, some of them it seems were f- almost feeling excluded because God hadn't given them a certain gift. And in these verses, Paul is particularly addressing those people that were feeling excluded. So he kind of, he kind of paints this very vivid picture where different parts of the body start talking to themselves. So in verse 15, Paul pictures a, a foot talking to itself, as feet tend to do. Uh, and the foot says to itself, well, because I'm not really a hand... I'm not part of the body. And, and in verse 16, he pictures a, an ear talking to itself and saying, well, because I'm not an eye, I, I do not belong to the body. And they're kind of feeling excluded. Uh, that they're made to feel like they're not as valuable as other parts of the body. Now you notice that, that in verse 15 and in verse 16 that the Paul says that, that how you feel about yourself And and what you feel about yourself is not always a measure of reality. And what you feel about yourself is not always what is true. It's what God's word says about you that counts. That's, That's very helpful to remember all of the time. How you feel, it is important, but it's not always true. It's not always a measure of reality. It's what God's word says that matters. So, so just because the foot didn't feel that it was a part of the body, that didn't mean that the foot wasn't a part of the body. It was a part of the body. And just because the ear didn't feel that it was a part of the body, that didn't mean that the ear wasn't a part of the body. It was a part of the body. And just because a Corinthian believer couldn't speak in tongues, that didn't mean that they weren't a part of the body. They were a part of the body. And just because you don't have a certain gift or role within the church, whatever that might be, that doesn't mean that you are not part of the body. You are a part of the body. You are as much a part of the body as anyone else. You are as valuable to the body as any other believer. You are needed, you are vital to the body. The body of Christ wouldn't function as well without you, whoever you are in Christ. Uh, The body of Christ needs different people with different gifts to be able to function. And, And it just makes it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Look at verse 17. If if the whole body were an eye, how would it hear? If the whole body were an ear, how would it smell? Uh, you, you think about us gathering together this morning as an example, and you've, you've got people who've set up chairs, uh, provided transport, um, welcomed you as you've come in. Uh, you've got people who will serve tea and coffee uh, you've got those who are involved in operating uh, the audio and visual side of things. You've got those who play a musical instrument. You've got those who are helping in crash right now. Uh, you've got those who teach in Bible Explorers. Uh, you've got people who do the children's talk. You've got those who lead the service. You've got those who preach and who teach. Uh, then you've got people just acting uh, naturally caring for each other, introducing themselves to someone that they've never spoken to before, um, uh, encouraging one another, uh, finding out how people are getting on. You've you've got deacons who are overseeing different functions and making sure that things are working well. You've got people inviting others into their home after the service, uh, showing kindness to them, uh, and so on. Now, now, of course, if, if everyone had the same function, uh, not only would the body cease to exist, but it, it would just be a disaster. Uh, so, for example, imagine if everyone was on the AV team, the audio-visual team, uh, and no one had any other gift, and no one had any other role. That, that wouldn't be very good for the building up of the body, Not only that, it's a very small space over there, and there's no way that I'm cramming in there with you. There's lots of people here. No, no, we need different people with different gifts for things to work well so that people can be built up in Christ. And and it's God, verse 18, who decides who is what part of the body and who has what gift. He, He arranges the parts of the body in the way that he thinks best. So so whatever your gift is, uh, whatever your role is in the body, you are needed. And you as a believer are as valuable as any other believer. The body of Christ would not function as well without you. Now this leads on to another point, verses 21 to twenty six, And that is that your brothers and sisters are needed. So the body of Christ, your brothers and sisters are needed. So, so here Paul is addressing those who, who feel that they might be slightly special because they think that they have a superior gift. And they're starting to look down on others who don't seem to have that gift. And, and Paul again, he says, he says, that's not true and that's not right. Verse 21, the, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. How proud are the eye to tell the hand it doesn't need the hand? How is the eye going to get an eyelash out of its eye without the hand? And and how arrogant of the head to tell the feet that they're not needed? How is the head going to get around without the feet? Verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Uh, this is probably referring to the parts of the, the human body that you can't see—the liver, the kidneys, uh, and so on. So, 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 just because someone's gift or area of service or role isn't as visible, that doesn't mean that they're not useful. Quite the opposite, they're indispensable. So, so you think, for example, of maybe an older person who, who serves the church so well by spending much time in prayer for the church. Now, that may not be visible to you as you serve in your ministry, but it's indispensable. You think what fruit there is in your ministry because of the prayers of those older saints. Those who serve in less visible Seemingly less impressive ways, that they're not to be looked down on. And Paul he makes a similar point in verses 23 and 24, and I think he's, he's using the example of the, the sexual organs here. So, so we ensure that we cover certain parts of the body for the sake of modesty. Now this contrasts with other parts of the body, like the face, that doesn't need to be covered. Verse 24, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. Now now Paul doesn't seem to explicitly say how God gives the greater honor to those parts. But I, I want you to ask yourself this. We tend to find it quite easy to show our appreciation of those with more upfront um, or visible roles or gifts. It's, it's, it's no effort at all. We, we're constantly thanking them, showing our appreciation of them. Um, we, we do it all the time. But, but, but do, you, do you ensure that from time to time you, you go out of your way to honour and thank those who serve so diligently in the background making things work? Uh, why should we do this? So that there's no division or disunity in the body. So so are there brothers and sisters who serve the church in much needed but less noticeable ways who you never thank? Your brothers and sisters are needed your area of ministry probably wouldn't work without them. This concern for valuing others and for uh, unity is it's particularly shown in verses 25 and 26 in, in showing the same care for each other. If, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If, if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Uh, you know what it's like when you get toothache. It's, it's not just the tooth that hurts, the whole body suffers. And it's the same with the church. When, when one Christian suffers, when, when they go through a tough time, we should all feel that concern for them, whoever they are. And when one Christian is honored, we should, we should all be happy for them. Now, I think that you can apply this to gifts and to serving, and I, I suspect this is part of what Paul is getting at. So, so let's imagine, imagine with me, someone, let's imagine someone there, that they're using their gift, the gift that the Spirit has given to them, and they, that they do something in service of the Lord, and it, and, and it doesn't go particularly well. It's a bit of a disaster. It, it's a bit of a flop. And, and secretly, it's perverse, but secretly you feel quite happy that it hasn't gone so well. Has that ever happened to you? Or, or, or let's imagine when someone uses their gift and they do something in service of the Lord and it, and it does go really well and that person is, is honoured and secretly you feel a bit envious of them. You wish it was you. Uh, and you feel sad that it wasn't you. Well, that's exposing a wrong attitude towards yourself and towards your brothers and your sisters. It's not all about you. It's not all about you. Uh, Your brothers and your sisters are needed. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one is honored, we all rejoice. Uh, And so we come to verses 27 to 31. If we can have that slide up. And this is the body of Christ, diversity in harmony. The body of Christ, diversity in harmony. In in verse 27 Paul underlines again the the principle of the church being one body but made up of different parts. And and then in verse 28 Paul he lists out a, a selection of those parts. Different roles or gifts that God gives people within the church. I notice that it's God who decides who has what role or gift. That's that's been a strong emphasis all the way through this chapter. You think back to verse eleven; it's the Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. A uh, verse eighteen: God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. A uh, verse twenty-four: God has so composed the body. Verse twenty-eight: God has appointed in the church. And notice also in verse 28 that some of the gifts are ranked. Some of the gifts are ranked in terms of priority. So so God has appointed in the church first apostles, uh, second prophets, third teachers. Uh, And then beneath those three, those top three, Paul gives a general mix of both extraordinary and also very ordinary gifts. We have miracles and gifts of healing and helping and leading and various kinds of tongues. Now, throughout this section, Paul has driven home the point that all believers are to be equally valued whatever gift they have. And yet, though that's true, that doesn't mean that the gifts have the same value. So, so there are some gifts that clearly build up the church and do good to the church more than others. And Paul, he puts gifts like that at the top of the list. And you see there, as you look at the one, two, three, uh, these were roles and gifts that were especially given by God um, to, to provide the scriptures and to communicate God's word and to teach God's word to the gathered church. Uh, Some of these roles, or forms of these roles, uh, that they no longer apply um, today. They were foundational gifts given to the first century church to communicate God's word and to provide the scriptures. Uh, You think of what Paul says in Ephesians 2, how the church is built on the foundation of the New Testament apostles and prophets. So, for example, there are now no longer apostles. Uh, Those apostles through whom God gave his inspired word, the scriptures, or through those closely connected to them, there are are no further revelations to be written down as scripture. Uh, The Bible is finished. It's complete. The canon is finished. Uh, But with this emphasis here on God's word... Now, that's partly why we as a church put such a priority on word gifts, now, building up the church through the preaching and teaching of the scriptures. You think of how Paul, as he uh, writes to Titus and to Timothy, um, he emphasizes uh, the appointment of elders or leaders who are able to teach the word Um, He talks to Timothy about how he must um, give himself to the public reading of the scriptures and to be preaching them. As we continue, notice how strongly Paul underlines the fact that no one has all the gifts. So if you look in verse 29 and 30, Paul, he asks a series of of quick-fire questions And the way in which they're written in the original, and you can see it here, it's clear that the answer to every single question here is no. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. So, so God decides who gets what gift, and he doesn't give all the gifts to everyone. He, he wants the body to work together in harmony. If everyone's a leg, it would be a disaster. And so, if you have heard teaching in the past that says that a sign that you have the Holy Spirit is that you can speak in tongues... And, and, and if you've heard teaching in the past that says that if you can't speak in tongues, you haven't got the Spirit, you can see from these verses that that teaching is not true. It wasn't true for the church in Corinth, and it's not true for the church today. Do all speak in tongues? No. I, I know that when the Spirit was given at Pentecost in Acts 2, And in Cornelius' house in Acts 10, and in Ephesus in Acts 19, uh, people spoke in tongues. But those particular occasions were defining moments in salvation history. Uh, they, They were signs to show that the gospel wasn't just for the Jews. It was for all nations. God doesn't give all the gifts to everyone. Not everyone in the church in Corinth would have been able to have spoken in tongues. And it would have been wrong of those who could to have expected it of those who couldn't. However, and here's where we finish. You see in verse 31 that Paul does encourage us to earnestly desire gifts. Paul does encourage us to earnestly desire gifts. And presumably this Earnest desiring includes asking God for them. God may or may not give the gift. It's his gracious choice. It's a gift. You can't claim the gift by faith. You can't name it and claim it and demand it. But it's not wrong to desire a gift or to ask for it why should we earnestly desire them not to make ourselves feel special or important but so the church can be built up that's what the gifts are for and what gifts should we earnestly desire well verse 31 says the higher gifts you remember the ranking Are those to do with communicating God's word You think of how, as a church, from time to time, we will pray that God will provide those who can teach and preach the Bible. Some of the Corinthians, they were putting far too much emphasis on the gift of speaking in tongues. They were saying that the gift of tongues is the gift to have. But you notice that the gift of tongues doesn't even make it into the top three. In fact, if you look carefully, you will see that in both lists in the chapter, it's at the bottom. Are we to earnestly desire the higher gifts? And yet still, Paul says, verse 31, there is something even more excellent than the one, two, three. And we'll leave that for next time. Just take a a moment to think, to pray, to reflect, to confess. uh, And then we'll sing a, a song as we pray for the unity and the oneness of the church.